Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Eric Frankel, founder and CEO of Pomelo, a money transfer platform that's raised over $70 million in funding. Eric, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me, Brett. It's good to be here. Yeah, no problem. So before we begin talking about what you're building, let's start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Sure thing. So my name is uh, Eric. I'm the CEO and founder here at Pomelo. My first startup I built uh, more than 10 years ago, started that in 2011, a database technology startup called Single Store. That company is now a unicorn worth more than $1.3 billion. I took that from two guys and a dog to 125 people, raised about $100 million in venture capital, and we did about $20 million ARR in under four years, and started that company when I was 25. And by the ripe old age of 32, I was staring down the barrel of my 30s and realized that there's a lot to do out in, in this part of my life. And so I uh, really wanted to kind of pass that baton so we could bring in someone that wanted to take a company to the next level over uh, a period of years. And so that set me up to basically start sabbatical. It took a couple of years. My wife and I traveled the world, got to start a family. And it was actually on that sabbatical when I came across the idea for Pomelo. So it really did come true in terms of being able to relearn how to let my mind wander and was back in the Philippines for a couple of months visiting family and really had this eureka moment when I realized that there has to be a better way to help family using credit instead of cash. And so I uh, started the company in uh, early 2020. Great timing, just with the pandemic, no doubt. And, you know, all things being considered, we were, uh, you know, of course, able to continue to build Camelo through the pandemic and then launched the company formally to market just this summer in 2022. Wow. Very cool. A couple of follow-up questions based on that then. So what was it like for you to leave your uh, your first startup child there? Was that a difficult decision to make? You know, I think there's always that expectation that if you can get hit by a bus, will the company continue to excel and thrive? And your job as a founder is to really make sure that the company can operate without you. I worked really hard to enable that reality, meaning that, you know, when you can actually like let go and see how it can do without, you know, you there operationally and just take a board seat. That was, I think, a very valid experiment to prove that, you know, you've built the company with good bones, with a good foundation. On a personal basis, like I said, like I just started uh, MemSQL, now single store when I was 25. By 32, I was looking ahead to, you know, the rest of my 30s and thinking that's a long time. And so having done seven years, you know, I kind of had to make this decision if I wanted to sign up as for another tour of duty, another seven years, and realized that I think it would be good to actually pass that baton to a professional CEO who has done everything but take a company public. And so we kicked off that search and it was really quite satisfying to be able to, you know, arc that mission. You know, company is now, you know, 500 people, north of 100 million in, in revenue, you know, obviously looking at an IPO in the future, but uh, you always have that sort of paternal pride, if you will, of, of you know, having started that thing for, uh, you know, Y Combinator winter 2011. So it was, for me, a very rational decision. But even as I thought about leaving Facebook, when it was, you know, cool, I was employee 1500, I also evaporated all my options. I left in under a year to start MemSQL because we got into Y Combinator. So I'm pretty comfortable making big decisions and, you know, walking away from guaranteed upside at the time that was Facebook and really committing into uh, MemSQL now single store. And so the decision for me to pass that baton, I think, was just a reflection of that, you know, self-awareness maturity and being like, yeah, this company has so much potential. I got it to hear what's, you know, it's going to take for us to get this company public. And so that for me was a great decision because it 
ultimately opened up my opportunity to start a company like Pamela, which was a personal problem that I wanted to solve with money transfer. And your friends and family just think you're crazy and try to convince you, you know, whenever you're facing one of these decisions to leave, do they try to convince you otherwise? Or do they just understand that's Eric, that's how he operates? So I'll never forget, my wife will tell you this as well, but I literally just got home one day and said, hey, honey, I I just quit Facebook. And I was there six months. And so, you know, they're just comfortable with me making sort of these big swings. When I, uh, obviously what would prompt that decision as well, you know, we apply to Y Combinator on a whim. And I'll never forget asking myself, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, you, when you apply to YC, everyone hopes to get in. And the punchline is you don't invest your Facebook stock because you get in. And so you have to make the decision of, you know, do you stick around or do you, uh, you know, lean in and take a bet and a, and a bet on yourself? So looking at my decisions, whether it was leaving Facebook to start MemSQL or leaving MemSQL to just start sabbatical in the rest of my life, I've always been comfortable about looking at these opportunities in aggregate and always have, I think, made the right mature decision to kind of realize like what's exciting out there. I'm 37 now, you know, we have a, a little two and a half year old and, you know, just being able to kind of just settled in and, and focus on Pomelo for the next several years couldn't be more exciting for me. Nice. Amazing. And a couple of questions we'd like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder. What CEO do you admire the most and what have you learned from them? It's a great question. When I think about sort of the, the CEOs that I admire the most, they're fundamentally the ones that take a lot of conviction and obviously a risk. Yes, but they, they, they look into sort of overcoming the skepticism, perhaps, or, you know, literally doing the impossible. Within fintech, of course, I would, I would definitely look to Chris Britt, who's the founder and CEO of Chime. You know, that company raised last $25 billion, But early on, you know, it was a real push to kind of get that Series B through the door. And it just took basically a lot of, you know, pushing to get Chime into the orbit that it's now in. So Chris is uh, definitely someone who I admire and uh, look up to as a, as a CEO. And what about books? Is there a specific book that's had the greatest impact on you as a founder? And, and this can be a business book or it could be a personal book as well. Oh, that's a great uh, one. Because typically the, the business answers are, you know, something like Zero to One, which by Peter Thiel. Hard um, thing, hard things. <laughs> like those yeah. are the two books that everyone says. I should just start saying besides those books. Yeah, besides those books. I mean, you know, on a personal basis, like I can tell you like my favorite book of all time is this historical fiction novel called I, Claudius by Robert Graves. And what I like about that is it's, I guess there's a, a bit of a parallel between, you know, doing the impossible in business and obviously doing what Claudius did as sort of the that emperor who accidentally fell into the throne. But what's interesting about that book is the author basically combines real history and real fact with just basically, you know, a lot of fictional dialogue. So the things that happen likely did, but it's just one of those things where you get as close to historical fiction as possible looking at, you know, a book like that. And I, Claudius is always consistently ranked in like the top hundred books of all time. But I just love that book. I've read it multiple times. It's a, it's not as well known, but uh, I would highly recommend anyone to uh, look that up and give it a, give it a go. So good. It had a sequel, uh, Claudius the God, but the original, of course, I, Claudius is just great. Nice. It's always refreshing too to hear, you know, different books or unique books that we, you know, all haven't heard of a thousand times or mm-hmm. you can't find on the, you know, the top 10 business books list. Right. So appreciate that. Let's talk now about Pomelo and what you're building there. So I think you touched on the origin story there. So let's just go you know, straight to the high-level pitch. What is that pitch that you're making to customers and to users? Sure. So Pomelo is the very first way to send money overseas using the power of credit instead of sending cash. What makes it exciting is that this can actually drop transfer fees to zero, give you instantaneous access to funds to remit, and help you build credit at the same time with your existing remittance obligations. 
this is a critical problem for hundreds of millions of people around the world. The global market is 630 billion a year, so more than a half a trillion on a global basis. A third of that, almost 200 billion, emanates from the U.S. outbound to countries like Mexico, India, Philippines, Vietnam. And the conventional rails have always been Western Union, you know, more recently, Remitly, World Remit, Zoom. And so when we look at sort of how they they manage this, it really is sort of a simple question of moving money from point A to point B. And that tends to be quite, you know, reductive and just an efficiency play. What makes Pomelo interesting is that we're doing something totally different, totally orthogonal. We're not moving any money at all. We're actually moving credit. And that means that we believe it's a superior approach for our customers because not only are there no more transfer fees at all, we have the best exchange rate in the industry. You get to see how family is spending for the very first time and it helps build your credit. So just something I think that's quite powerful for the sender and even for the recipients in emerging markets. Uh, being banked is quite unusual. Only three in 10 Filipinos are banked, three in 10 Indians are banked today. And so for many of our customers, this is their very first card they've ever had in their name in the Philippines. And so it gives them that training wheels to start learning about modern finance. And so we really look at Pomelo as having a phenomenal you know, business mission, yes, but a great social mission around financial inclusion. And all of that and, and then some is really what inspired me to uh, take a big swing here and uh, start Pomelo in early 2020. So, yeah, I've been involved in the, the Bitcoin space for quite a while now. And obviously, if you're in like, the Bitcoin space, you know that people you know, demonize Western Union and MoneyGram and you know, make them out to be kind of like the devil for those insane fees that they charge from you know, people who really need money. But one of the things that I read in terms you know, of kind of like defending them almost was this breakdown that said, you know, it's not expensive for them to move money from one place to another. What's expensive is, you know, actually getting it into the hands of the users in these random places all throughout the world. So it's, you know, like those brick and mortar locations, yeah. things like that. So how are you guys managing that? And when it comes to actually, you know, getting that money into their hands? It's a great question. And our answer is that we really look at Pomelo as being a last mile solution, leveraging the Visa MasterCard network. So it's actually quite interesting to look at the topology and, and the sizing of a network in the various eras as I look at money transfer. It starts off with Western Union to move physical cash with physical locations. There's about 20,000 agents around the world. Then like 20 years ago, the evolution was away from cash as cash and to cash as EFT, electronic funds transfer. And then your endpoints are like bank accounts, for example. And now there are hundreds of millions of bank accounts relative to physical Western Union locations. And you have all the way from physical cash to EFT. You fast forward to 2020, and I hope what we can elicit here in the space is is a third era that uses credit. And an endpoint is no longer a bank account, but a point of sale online, in person, at a point of sale terminal, either hard, like at a register or soft, like an Android device. And there's an order of magnitude more of those and there are even a banks and bank accounts. And so then you moved away from EFT entirely into another evolution towards credit. And so I look at sort of the value of Western Union has provided and the next generation like Zoom or Mitly, World Remit at all. to look at what we hope to do, which is more interested in actually advancing innovation within the space. No one has ever done credit transfer before internationally until Pomelo took it to market. And we're super excited about it because I think it actually does get to some some inefficiencies that can be addressed and rectified. No more transfer fees, for example, a better exchange rate, and also just the fact that you can see for the first time how your family is spending your hard-earned money. You send cash as cash, it's completely opaque. And here we are shining a light in terms of how that money is being allocated. So you can't use Pomelo to pay your gambling habit, things like that. We hope that it actually arcs financial health and financial acumen in the right direction getting people, you know, on these training wheels so they can get banked themselves in emerging markets. 
So how do you define yourself then in terms of category? It sounds like money transfer platform probably isn't the best category for you. So how do you think about categories? Yeah, I mean, I do look at us as what we're doing is sending money without sending any money at all. So it's it's a wonderful you know paradox that we like to solve by saying it's as simple as signing up on the app, inviting your family. When they complete their registration, we give them a virtual card on their phone immediately that they can use for online transactions. And then a few days time, they get a knock on the door from a courier with their own physical Pomelo card that has their name on it. And so to get around, what is the friction of, of cash pickup? That's a huge problem. There's a lot of robbery that happens around cash pickup locations, pawn shops, head up of the law in Tagalog, as it's called, just for cash pickup. And that's because you know you're carrying a lot of money as you leave that place. And so we actually think that this keeps our customers safer and their families safer because they're not actually carrying cash. If the card is lost, you have chargeback protection, you have fraud protection, you can cancel that card, pause that card in the app. So we actually think there's a lot more benefits by moving to a cashless product in addition to the economics. Makes sense. And this you know, is probably a dumb question, but just to better understand, you know, when we're talking about the remittance market in general, is remittance, you know, like for me as a business owner, I have employees in the Philippines and I pay them with Payoneer. You know, that's uh, mm-hmm. for some reason just been like the tool yeah. or platform we've used for years. Yep. Is that considered remittance or is remittance more like the person from the Philippines who's living in the US who's sending money back home to support their family? I would definitely say that, that it's more encapsulated by the latter on a personal consumption basis. You know, there are other obviously business focused, you know, services like OFX that compete with Payoneer. But we tend to look at our purview as being consumer-focused because we are a consumer charge card. And so, yes, it's really about all the folks that come to this country to work hard and send some money back to support their family. Definitely a consumer problem as much as it is, in some cases, a business problem, as you described. And in terms of acquiring users, what's that typical process look like for you? I'm, I'm guessing it's you know targeting the customers in the U.S., and then they're you know, bringing it to their family in the Philippines? Or is it like a bottoms-up approach somehow where you're going from the Philippines to their family here? Oh, uh, the former. I mean, we, of course, engage with our customers on Facebook. Filipinos love Facebook in a way that most other consumers don't these days. But Facebook is extremely useful to stay in touch. We obviously advertise on TFC, the Filipino channel, on cable and satellite TV. And eventually, you know, just look at sort of building word of mouth as a function of our recent launch. And so, yes, it's really great to be able to get in touch and get in front of that consumer. But ultimately, you know, our best, you know, customers are going to be the ones that evangelize uh, Pomelo to their friends and family about how they can save a lot of money, get a superior product, things like that. Got it. That makes sense. And then from a market landscape perspective, who else are you competing with in a similar way, like outside of the more traditional firms like Western Union and, and MoneyGram? So, I mean, what's exciting about Pomelo is that we are one of one. We are innovating a brand new product inside a brand new product category. So there's not a reference point to something like Pomelo prior to us actually saying, well, let's combine consumer credit and remittance transfer to actually create a favorable outcome for the consumer. And, you know, that's worth a quick aside, which is that we actually, even though we're a credit card, we don't charge any interest. We are 0% APR because we are a non-revolving credit product called a charge card. And that means that you just pay your bill in full every billing cycle. And so that actually helps our customers stay out of debt. We don't want to switch one terrible business model for another. And so by actually putting some limits on that product, so smaller limit, $1,000 at most unsecured, and having to pay it off in full every month with auto pay enabled as well as an option, we actually work really hard to save our customers a lot of money on fees and, and any interest being 0%. So if you look at sort of you know why we're doing this, it's, well, we definitely want to be better than Western Union or MoneyGram. 
And we really also want to be better than the more modern era, like Remitly, World Remit, you know, Zoom with an X, things like that. That is something that, you know, lo and behold, they're still charging a lot of fees. And so we hope that, you know, this new model actually gets replicated. I mean, we want to be first. We want to definitely, you know, lead the charge in terms of building credit in the space. But right now we look at ourselves as sort of being quite unique in, you know, 2022, having just launched a little more than 90 days ago. Wow. And are there any metrics that you can share just to demonstrate the traction that you're seeing? Yeah. I mean, I'll definitely keep things in percentages just to, you know, be neutral in terms of point in time reference. But, you know, since our launch, we have finished up our first cohort and we've seen just fanatical usage of recipients spending one transaction every two days on average. Consumers are paying off their bill in full at the order of 97% in the first cohort. And that means that they're actually fulfilling, you know, our ask, which is that they don't get into debt. They pay off in full. They don't have a late fee. And the other element is that there's a whole lot of, you know, social pressure to basically prioritize Pamela first because you don't want to have to shut off that card and potentially be embarrassed that, you know, you couldn't provide for your family. We have seen a phenomenal adoption of the unsecured products. More than 91% of users accept that card offer when they receive it. If you don't receive that card offer, we have a secured offer as well, which means you just self-fund uh, that, that initial first payment that opens up a security deposit. And then most interestingly is that 95% of all users who sign up in month one are spending in month two and beyond. So incredible traction just out of the gate. And we've certainly been quite busy now that we're advertising on, on TV and Facebook. So on a relative basis, everything is looking quite positive. Nice. And could you talk us through that funding? Because I know the 70 million, there was a, a split there between equity and debt, correct? Correct. So 70 million is a big number for a seed round. And even 20 million, which is our equity side, is still a big number for a seed round. So of the 70, 20 is equity that was raised from uh, Founders Fund, Keith Raboy, a fintech legend in his own right. And then actually the founder and CEO of Zoom with an X, Kevin Hartz, at his own VC called A Star Capital. We also have some great investors like Afford Capital, X Fund, Josh Buckley, or Hyper, the Chainsmokers, Mantis VC through their entity Mantis, even The Weeknd, the artist as an angel. That's just sort of uh, a quick roster of the uh, the seed investors that rounded up that 20 million. And then the 50 million is a what's called a credit warehouse facility. And that actually covers all of our customer spending. So another way to think about Pomelo is that we are send now, pay later, or remit now, pay later. And so we use that warehouse to basically literally cover all the spending that our customers are making with that existing balance sheet. So altogether, 20 plus 50 gives you that total of 70 million just to get the company going. Wow. That's cool that you have Keith. He's one of the uh, the funniest Twitter users that exist. Maybe there's like some others out there, but at least of the people that I follow, some of the stuff he says is just hilarious. Yes, yes. He's definitely up there with Elon now in terms of just the uh, who you should follow. Yeah, I think he's, uh, he enjoys the controversy, it seems. I don't think it's an accident, some of the stuff he says. Correct. No, he prides himself on being a contrarian. And, you know, it's just one of those things where I wish I had that sort of ability to tweet as he does, but I'm a big fan, to say the least. <laughs> and what do you think it was about this opportunity that got you know, investors so excited? <laughs> Obviously, you have, you know, a track record of building a unicorn. So I'm sure that's helpful. But as you said, you know, 20 million for a seed round, even in you know, these crazy times, that's still a, that's a big seed round. So what do you think it was that got investors so excited? Well, what's first and that's important is that both Keith and Kevin, of course, are just pinnacle experts within money transfer. Of course, because Kevin was the founder and CEO of Zoom with an X, the original sort of innovation with the money transfer in the early 2000s. But Keith Raboy was also an early investor and backer in Zoom. And so both of them knew how big money transfer is. 
And they were both floored that no one has actually even attempted this before. I think it's a combination of, you know, the right time, the right place, the right, you know, changes in technology and market sizing. But certainly it was one hour talking with Keith before he decided to actually fund the seed round. And so I think it's just a function that this is incredibly innovative, uh, never been done before. It makes sense. It's an elegant solution that actually removes a lot of hassle for the consumer. And obviously, you know, before our, our market launch of the product, we had launched a wait list. And in about six months, we had 125,000 people sign up on that wait list. So certainly, you know, we had a good read on, on demand by proxy with a wait list that was indicative of what we would, of course, now see in market. And could you talk me through what it's like just from a regulatory perspective? I was following along with Chime where they ran into trouble, you know, where they were you know, saying they were a bank or people were saying they're a bank. And then they had to clarify, no, no, we provide banking like services, but we're not really a bank. Mm-hmm. Then I see on your Twitter page, you know, it says banking services provided by Coastal Community Bank. So can you walk me through you know, what it's like for you just trying to navigate that regulatory environment? Absolutely. So first, you look at sort of Chime and, and then really focusing on neobanking and having to represent what's the difference between their bank sponsor and what they provide. That's not the case at all here with Pomelo because we actually are very clearly and cleanly delineated as what we do as a product. We're a charge card. We can basically underwrite a consumer, give them $1,000 of instant credit for them to distribute to family overseas. And that makes it very clear that you know the banking services that are provided by our bank sponsor, Coastal Community Bank member FDIC up in Washington State, they are the, of course, the charter that allows us to access MasterCard and acquiring banks and handle international payment using a bank charter rather than the consumer moving money directly. It's great to convey that, you know, Pomelo solves money transfer because we don't send any money at all. Right now, you give your family a Pomelo card in their name, but fully under your control. You can pause it, cancel it, increase the spending limit, decrease the spending limit, see how they're spending. And that allows you to basically replace money transfer with something that's quite superior. Money transfer, of course, is highly regulated because it kind of hits all the core points of what any government regulatory body cares about, whether it's drugs, terrorism, and money laundering. That's definitely a problem with cash as cash and not a problem at all with something like a card. You get to see everything that happens with Pomelo transaction by transaction. We have robust KYC, know your customer requirements for, of course, our primary cardholder, but also their family overseas. And it ensures that, you know, we're actually shining a light into this space that's always been incredibly opaque. So we actually hope that, you know, this is a, a great innovation as well, just because it gives you more clarity, you know, up and down the stack about what's happening. And why do you think that, you know, this industry has really failed to change or, you know, all of these companies that have come in have really failed to disrupt it? Because it seems like, you know, that narrative has been out there for a long time, right? That there's these big greedy companies who are making all this money off it. And then a startup comes in promising to disrupt that. But then it seems like, you know, in the end, their fees end up just being pretty close to the big company they were trying to disrupt anyways. Like, why do you think that is? So I I think it's a classic combination of innovator's dilemma. You're already committed to a revenue stream. In this case, you know, consumer level transaction fees uh, per transaction. And then also how quickly, you know, things change in consumer, you know, technology. You know, even three, four years ago, could you look at every city around the world having sufficient saturation of high-speed internet over LTE, enough consumers now having a smartphone of an Android variety or an iPhone? or the fact that e-commerce itself is actually what's enabling a lot of our innovation vis-a-vis you know, career delivery, KYC. All of these things stack on top of each other. And so as I looked at sort of the timing of this, I had a 15-year horizon visiting multiple times between 2004 and 2019 
to the Philippines. And I myself was astounded how quickly it had changed that based on even a, a year and a half from my last visit to 2019, first time not using cash at all. And so I think when things change, they happen very quickly. And then you just look at the fact that, you know, the consumers in these markets are extremely young, millennial and Gen Z predominate. And so these folks are, you know, truly, you know, digital natives. They are used to this experience. Obviously, you can look at P2P wallets like Venmo and their analogs in emerging markets, Gcash in the Philippines, uh, Paytim in India, their user growth is exponential. And so all of that kind of comes together to kind of crystallize that there is a different way of actually helping family with remittance transfer. And it's it, uses something entirely different, not any sort of money at all, but credit as a mechanism. You really do need, you know, the MasterCard Visa network to be there as a last mile solution. And so, yes, we understand that outside of the cities, will you have the same success with a point of sale terminal? No, but as it happens, most economic activity concentrates in the cities anyway. And so if in the future we, you know, provide some disbursement to fund the Gcash wallet, you know, great, but we look at ourselves as, as trying to actually bring a fresh pair of eyes to this market. And that's what got me so excited about this. Like, it's been so long and no one's attempted it. I think it really took an outsider like myself, fresh pair of eyes to come in and say, well, why can't we change this? And then just convince Visa and MasterCard to give us permission. (laughs) And they love the idea, of course, because, you know, they are thinking about the next generation of consumer. Of course, it's so saturated here in the West, but the next billion consumers in emerging markets need to hear about Visa and MasterCard versus something like Alipay and their own, you know, subsidiaries. So I think this is just the right time, right place kind of opportunity. And certainly we're bushwhacking and figuring it out, you know, for the first time. So I think that's what got myself excited. Obviously, our current employees, investors, just really excited that this makes sense. It should happen. And we're uh, problem solving our way now, uh, three months in market, obviously already seeing the benefits of, of the car being utilized so commonly once every two days on average. So people are getting it. I mean, I think it's an aspirational product. It's their first card ever that, that has been in their name in the Philippines. And so for them, it's an aspirational, you know, sort of product that gets them into the grocery store instead of a wet market, let's say. It's something that is, I think, compelling because they've never had a card before. We take them for granted. But for our our customers in the Philippines, we hope it's a starting point for them to get banked, for them to start their own, you know, financial education uh, journey. And what's the credit system look like in the Philippines? Just to understand that side of it. Is there like an Equifax and a TransUnion there? Or what does that look like? They're very nascent, very nascent. I mean, what what we need is just rails. We don't need the local credit score because we underwrite our customers here in the United States. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at last count, there's, you know, 50 million plus debit cards in circulation, something like 18 million credit cards in circulation. And so lo and behold, you know, that indicates that the credit card rails, the debit card rails are there for the well-to-do and the rich today. They're just being underutilized by everyone else. And so those rails are there. You can go to any you know store in Manila or Cebu or even any tier three or tier four city and find point of sale terminals. We just think that more people should have access to that. And so by using it as an extension card or an authorized user card that is given to them through their family here in the US, we think it's a great way to open up the market share to touch those rails. Nice, very cool. And could you just walk me through timelines here, just you know, understand what it was like building? So from the time that you or the moment that you had the idea to closing that seed round, how much time passed? And then from seed round till 90 days ago when you launched, how much time passed? Yeah. So as I mentioned, I came across, you know, the initial concept for Pomelo in later 2019, had to kind of do all the research, make sure that this was something that was that was actually feasible across the board. And then by early 2020, raised an initial round of, of you know, five million. That enabled us to be taken seriously by, you know, Visa, MasterCard, banks. So we could spend 2020 in the thick of the pandemic, of course, 
trying to kind of get a, an agreement with the, the network and then with the bank. So 2020 was definitely definitively spent purely in business development mode, small team of just, you know, myself, a couple other folks. And then once we got our bank agreement and our network agreement with MasterCard, we spent the next 18 months from early 2021 into early, you know, 2022 towards like, you know, May, June, preparing a launch. And then August 16th was actually our formal launch day of 2022. And so that really does take us, you know, four 90 days or so since then. And so about a year and a half of build out and, you know, tons of work. I mean, it's a complex product for sure under the covers, you know, no less than a dozen different vendors necessary to kind of complete every single facet of the business. That makes sense. And it's crazy because you know, it seems like such a simple idea, right? When you just you know, talk about it at the service level. But once you dive deep, I'm sure it's incredibly complicated and complex. Oh, yeah. I mean, never mind the fraud that you have to battle with. And I got to say, it's it's a real joy you know, to have a good game of chess, if you will, between you know black pieces and white pieces on the board because you know they've given us a lot of free user testing and we've improved the product as a result. And it's sort of an evergreen perennial you know, question of, of how do you actually give a credit product to the right individual? And so, you know, in the 90 days since launch, I put a ton of work into sort of our fraud controls. And, you know, it's just one facet of building a credit business. And so part of that is just, you know, making sure you can crawl before you walk and before you're on. But, you know, generally speaking, like, you know, as you think about building something in fintech, it's definitely with the same criticality that you need to think about when you're building something on the B2B infrastructure side, something like a database, which is my first startup. And that appealed to me. I mean, the complexity of fintech, the importance of actually not falling over, you know, being uh, with high uptime, all of that is just a way to kind of build that user's trust. And so for us, like our number one value as a company is to earn the trust of our customers. And we want to do that for the pixels that we serve, but also the customer experience they have with our customer success team, with the fact that, you know, a few days after they sign up, a card arrives in hand halfway around the world via courier. Those are the little things I hope that add up to kind of convey that we are just obsessed about the customer experience. And one other question just about you as a founder, was it hard for you to switch going from a B2B world to B2C? Like on my end, you know, I've been just B2B for my entire, you know, entrepreneurial journey. So like 10 years in, B2B is all I know, all I really understand. But when I look at consumer stuff, I always think to myself, man, it looks like so much more fun <clears throat> and so much more interesting and just like feels like you can have more of an impact on the consumer side. Like, did you have that feeling when you were running a B2B business? And was that hard for you to transition over to the consumer side? Or was that an easy transition for you to make? I want to say that everyone wants to say, oh, the grass is always greener. But in this case, it is. Uh, <laughs> I've loved uh, jumping into consumer fintech. I mean, I think one of the benefits of actually pursuing something like Pomelo is that it is different. I'm not having to kind of put on my you know enterprise sales CEO hat for Pomelo. It's actually you know becoming a product CEO instead of a sales CEO. And so on a personal level, I think that type of challenge is, is worthwhile. I think having to grow quickly and, and dramatically in a new arena is a joy and, a, and unto itself to pursue, knowing that you're going to you know, scrape your knees along the way. But obviously, if you hire the right people and you learn quickly, I think it, it can be part of a, an immensely satisfying you know, personal journey to evolve. Everyone expected me to do another B2B company. I actually was quite adamant that I did not do that because life's too short. I really wanted to challenge myself. And so with consumer fintech, I think it's the right balance of complexity that I enjoy coming from databases, but ultimately getting a very, very close picture of like, what's it like to help someone personally, you know, transmit money? You know, our customers have been on the phone with us in tears, not, not believing that this actually helped them in a, a very severe emergency. 
that's the type of impact you hope that you can provide by not having to wait to send money, by giving that instant access to spend. It is phenomenal in case someone is, is hurt in an accident, they have to go to the hospital and you just need to start paying the bill. So for me, that's the personal satisfaction of, of working with consumers. At the end of the day, of course, this is also a personal problem that I wanted to solve. And so it, it just created alignment where I had, I think, a lot of lessons I've learned and gleaned about how to build a startup for my first one. But to direct myself into a different arena, if you will, with consumer fintech has been, you know, a real joy. And quite frankly, like, you know, less stress. I don't know. I think you get hit in the face a thousand times. You're not going to flinch when you get hit for that thousand and one first time, right? So been through this before, but also also understanding that you can see if it's working or not early. Like we had great data in our initial launch and it gives us conviction that we already are onto something really powerful here. And so you really don't need a lot of data in consumer to figure out if it's working or not. And so that's in direct contrast to like B2B enterprise sales where like every deal is typically, you know, going to make or break the quarter. If it's a high ticket sale, you're the one that's pushing. And if a deal falls through, that's on you. You know, if you launch a consumer company, it doesn't work out. That's really just the reflection that the market doesn't map to the product. So, you know, there's grass is always greener, I guess, in either direction. But for what I'm up to here at Pomelo, it's just personal. I just love this market. I love this space. I love the fact that we're doing right for our customers with a superior model that's never been done. So I think it's just a reflection of just being able to pick. I mean, I think the hardest thing about being an entrepreneur is not building the startup itself. It's actually committing to the startup you want to build. And if you pick wrongly, that can be multi-year of energy and, and effort that doesn't manifest. And so I think for anyone that thinks about starting companies first, you only live once. I think when we think about starting a company, it's about embracing that ability to bet on yourself and to really understand that nothing ventured, nothing gained. It comes down to that. But the best thing that can be done is to really look at all of the risks that are involved in starting a company and only move once you have removed all of them. So what you do commit to has effectively as little risk as possible. I think entrepreneurs get like this bad, this, this unfair rap for like loving risk. In fact, I think good entrepreneurs hate risk. You actually only move once you have removed the risk as much as possible. And so that approach has done me well in picking, you know, early big data technology like MemSQL not single store. And then obviously committing to something like Pomelo, which again, jury's still out, I'm only 90 days in, but um, <laughs> it's been super fun getting this thing over the last you know, two plus years to market. Amazing. And last question, I know we're up on time here. If we zoom out into the future, what would you say is the three-year vision for the company? You know, I think uh, more markets for sure. But ultimately, you know, I look at sort of what we provide as a peace of mind you know, solution to this problem of being separated by family for months to years at a time across border, across oceans. And so fundamentally, like, you know, I look at sort of our mission here is to provide that peace of mind to our customers. It just so happens money transfer, remittance transfer is one facet of that. So our, our North Star is really how can we help the customer get peace of mind knowing that they can visit family for months to years at a time. So a lot to do yet, but in the near term, more markets, you know, for sure, just getting to Mexico, to India, to Vietnam. That's something that we really wanted to you know, obviously bring once we're, uh, you know, a little bit further along with our Filipino launch. Amazing. Eric, well, I think we're up on time here. So unfortunately, we will have to wrap. Uh, before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you build, where's the best place for them to go? So they can go to pomelo.com, P-O-M-E-L-O.com. And we do hope to you know, have this product in the future available for more than the Philippines. But uh, you can definitely read about some of our launch press on the site, read some of our blog posts, and otherwise just kind of explore the product. And if you ever want to reach out to me, just look me up on LinkedIn. It's pretty easy to find. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us and share your vision and tell your story. This is a lot of fun and we look forward to seeing you execute on this vision. Well, thank you so much, Brad. Thanks for having me. Yep. Take care.